I emceed the big uh, Memorial Day event at Wood National Cemetery yesterday, and it was a powerful event. It always is. And I thank everybody who came out and celebrated and commemorated our heroes who made the ultimate sacrifice. The keynote speaker was a, a very impressive retired general from the Air Force, 34 years in the Air Force. And now as impressive is he's the director of the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency, DPAA. They basically, this guy's in charge of accounting for our nation's missing personnel from past conflicts. They find them. They identify them, which has become incredibly relevant in the last several years, providing the fullest possible accounting of our missing personnel to their families and to the nation. Kelly McKaig is the director, and he is with us this afternoon. General, thank you so much for being with us. John, it's a privilege to be with you from Washington, D.C., and more importantly, thank you again for being the master of ceremony at that, you're right, powerful ceremony yesterday at Wood National Cemetery. Well, it meant a lot to us that you came out and spent your holiday weekend with us here in Milwaukee. I want to ask you, for those that don't know, General, about the DPAA, and it's such important work, tell us about the core mission. The core mission is simply to search for, find, identify the remains of missing individuals from World War II through Operation Iraqi Freedom. There are close to 81,000 that are still missing. That's an incredible number. And of that, we estimate 37,000 to be recoverable. Wow. So those that aren't considered recoverable, what does that mean? There must be varying circumstances. It is. So those are deep water at sea losses. Uh, right now, technology limits us to about 250 feet of water. Anything beyond that, whether it's a submarine, a ship, or an aircraft, is considered non-recoverable. Are there some nations that don't cooperate with us where our fallen service members lie? We work in 45 countries all over the world, Europe, Pacific, and all 45 countries step up to the responsibility to assist the United States. There's one exception, and that exception is North Korea. So even in China or other places where we might not think there's a lot of cooperation, most realize the importance of the mission? It is, and that's, that's the ironic part about why it's uh, very frustrating about North Korea. We are allowed to speak with China and Russia, and despite the worsening conditions, the bilateral relationship going backwards, uh, the Chinese and Russians still talk to us. And in each case, we have missing in both Russia and China from past wars. I want to ask you, General, I, I told the story on the air last week about David Riley, who was on the USS Oklahoma from a small town in central Wisconsin, who your teams identified and brought home. And just on Saturday, he was actually laid to rest there. You told the story to us uh, yesterday about another sailor from Wisconsin who perished on the USS Oklahoma and was recently identified. Can you share that story with us? Sure. He's a Milwaukee native. It was, his name was Arthur Thaness. He was 17 years old when he joined the Navy in January 1941. Think about that. Eleven months before he found himself aboard the Oklahoma, he had just joined the Navy and enlisted in the Navy at the age of 17. Found himself aboard the Oklahoma, and like Seaman Riley, he was entombed in the ship when it was bombed on December 7, 1941. So that's incredible. I can't, is it ever amaze you, and you work with this every day, General, that these men that passed away 80 years ago, you are able to identify and bring closure for their families? 
You know, it's something, John, that we talk about these families, these Gold Star families that experience, obviously they know their loved one died in combat, but what makes their loss and their grieving worse is it is the uncertainty associated with it. And they will carry it generationally and pass it down. You may, and I'm sure you spoke to the Riley family who some family members never met the seaman. However, they know everything about seaman Riley. It's amazing. You're right. You know, and in, in Riley's case, this was fascinating, and I wanted to ask you a question related to this. Um, he was a foster kid, so he went off to war, and the family he left behind was not a biological family. So he goes off to war and dies on the USS Oklahoma, and he's entombed. His body's recovered. He's buried in Honolulu. You exhume the body, but then the family that he knew in Wisconsin was not his biological family. And somehow you guys tracked down a biological relative. You must run into cases all the time where there's adoption or other extenuating circumstances, and you become detectives. We do, and we depend upon, in this case, the Navy, who employ tremendous genealogists. And they scour their records. They scour, and and they basically, you're right, they are detectives. In the case of uh, Seaman Riley, they ended up coming to a dead end recognizing that the DNA that his family provided was not a match. And so in recognizing this, they then spoke to the family, his biological family, who then told them about being adopted. That's amazing. Uh, Former General Kelly McKaig is with us on WTMJ. He's the director of the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. Uh, Tell us the other story that you shared with us about a Korean War vet. This, again, was a Milwaukeean. Uh, his name was Thomas Zimmer. He attended Kashuko High School and left before graduating to enlist in the Army again at the age of 17. Two and a half years later, he finds himself in a tremendously uh, brutal battle at the Chosen Reservoir in North Korea. He goes missing, and we lose track of him until we conduct a joint investigation recovery with the North Korean Army. And by the way, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, we actually worked with the North Koreans. Anyway, we find remains, a number of remains. They're not able to be identified until two years ago using advanced DNA technology. It's a hit. It's on Thomas Zimmer. And we brought him home, and he's buried at Arlington Park Cemetery. Wow, just down the road here, not that far. I am amazed know, his, by the partnership with the, with the country. So how does this work? You, you you get a hint that maybe in Laos or in Vietnam that there's a jungle location where a helicopter went down. How does that work then with local authorities and your teams? So our historians and researchers, they will go through battlefield records. They'll interview witnesses. And if they're able to determine an approximate location, then we will send the team out to investigate and survey the site. Assuming they meet with success, we will then bring an archaeologist, anthropologist, to excavate the site. And oftentimes, whether it's the beaches of Normandy, whether it's a a forest in Germany, or, as you pointed out, the jungles in Laos, we will then send that excavation team to hopefully find remains that we can bring back to one of two laboratories. Where are the laboratories? Our main laboratory is in Honolulu, Hawaii, and our second one is in Omaha, Nebraska. The one in Omaha, Nebraska is the one that handles everything found in Europe, 
and the one in Honolulu handles everything coming from the Pacific. So as we sit here today, General, do you have teams around the world or on standby to be deployed around the world in case something's discovered or new intel comes about? Right now, we, we have 14 teams deployed in 13 different countries. And they have been work, they usually work there for 45 days. Uh, it's a multidisciplinary team led by a scientist. But there's an explosive ordnance technician. There's linguists. There's a photographer to identify the forensic evidence that is found. And it's really incredible work. And it's demanding work, oftentimes in very inhospitable conditions, very remote locations. But uh, these men and women just just embrace the mission and embrace the noble responsibility that they have. It's incredible work. Due to advances in DNA technology, will there ever be another unidentified sailor or soldier? We don't think so, simply because it wasn't until the early 1990s that DNA actually took root. And so for any service member that entered the military after 1992, they provided a uh, a drop of blood that Mm. is on a card stored in a set of files in Dover, Delaware, And so anybody that is lost in combat, whether it was Afghanistan or Iraq or any future conflict, their DNA will be on file, thereby preventing us from having to find a family member that's related. So the guys on the USS Oklahoma, there were some, a small handful, that have not yet been identified, right? There were 31. So after after the ship was righted three years after the, the bombing, the Navy was only able to identify 35. And so the remainder were buried, commingled. And so we ended up taking, disinterring them five years ago, six years ago, I take that back. And there were 13,000 bones that we had to sort through. Now of that, we were able to identify 362, uh, Seaman Riley being one of the last ones, simply because we didn't have his genealogical tree. And we have 31 others that uh, we are waiting for hopefully some sort of genealogical evidence that comes in that allows us to then disinter them again for the purpose of identifying. Retired General Kelly McKig is the director of the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. Thank you for the work you do for our nation, for our communities, for our families. We appreciate it, General. Thanks very much again for the opportunity, John.